always sure you have to give your all. It's about winning, of course, but before you win, you have to try it with all you have. Together, we win, because success starts off the pitch. Switched on Asia, brought to you by AXA, delivering confidence. This is Switched on Asia. Elite sports and business, two very different physical environments, but they do share some similarities. For one thing, a focus on strategy, winning, uh, training, good leadership, and of course, teamwork. Now, does it all matter in 2021? How does one manage a cohesive team and inspire people to work together towards a common goal? And talking about goals, today we'll be catching up with Liverpool's players, midfielder Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, defender Joel Matip, and Lee Richardson, himself a former professional football player and now the team performance psychologist to the LFC squad. And they'll be joining us to discuss the importance of teamwork in delivering confidence. And of course, here in the studio with me today is the CEO of AXA Asia, Gordon Watson, um, who is an expert in teamwork, leadership, and building confidence. This is Switched on Asia. So for all you fans out there, we've got a quick game for you. Uh, We asked a mystery player to answer a few quick questions for us. Can you guess who it is? Gordon, you've got to try and guess too. When did you play for the club? I played for Liverpool Football Club from 2006 until 2012. Describe your most memorable goal. My most memorable goal for Liverpool Football Club was against Everton at Goodison Park and I scored a penalty in the last minute. What was the best thing about playing for Liverpool? The best thing about playing for Liverpool was the interaction with the fans. It was an absolute pleasure to play at Anfield, especially at night games. Okay, I think I know who it is, but we'll be revealing the answer at the end of the show. This is Switched on Asia. Gordon, as always, it's a pleasure to have you with me here. And today we're talking about teamwork, accountability, communication and knowledge sharing. And that is how Liverpool's manager, Jurgen Klopp, defines his leadership and approach to teamwork. Do you agree with Jurgen? Yeah, Jurgen's pretty good. I always (laughs) agree with him. For me, I think uh, it's really about having the confidence to know you can, having that self-belief. And I think the three things I would look at would be culture, meritocracy, and diversity. So I think in the culture, it's very important to have guardrails on the values that you have. So at AXA, what we do is we, we have very explicit conversations. So you can say anything to me as long as we talk to each other with respect, because you need to understand communicating is two way. So I need to understand, and sometimes there's language difficulties. I, I, my English is not very good, as you know. Um, <laughs> but I really need to understand, and when I'm talking, people need to understand. So I think that that culture of respect and explicit conversations is, is very important. I think in diversity, diversity of thought is very important. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no point in having a team of all the same kind of people. Um, so for me, I like to get, you know, um, actuaries who are financial geniuses. I like to get creative marketing people, you know, data analytics and everything has a different lens and that makes, helps me make uh, uh, better decisions. It goes to the meritocracy. So for me, you know, 
the best person for the job is very important. I think through meritocracy, you actually end up having a very diverse, highly functional team. At AXA here in Asia, you know, gender-wise, 50% of our CEOs are female. Mm. Um, we have many different nationalities. Um, so for me, those are the three things, meritocracy, diversity, and getting the culture right. And so how do you maintain that culture of openness in, in communication? You know, as a leader, sometimes um, I feel like whoever's in charge really sets the tone in that. So what kind of practices do you, do you tend to use? You have to make people feel comfortable. Um, I think the old traditional management style of command and control, and there was a big power distance between, you know, the leader and the rest of the team, and people were scared. So you need yeah. to create an environment where people, you know, whoever they are, feel confident to say what they really think, because mm. that makes the decisions better. And, I, and when you talk about extroverts and introverts, extroverts can lead the introverts to think the wrong thing. So you need to make sure everyone contributes to a conversation. So again, it's making the space comfortable for people. Mm, mm. And you also were talking about getting people in the right jobs that are suited for them. Yeah. How do yeah. you do that? It's not easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, there's, the, you know, there's a few examples of people who are great people, great skill sets in the wrong job and they just can't flourish. Um, and I, of course, it's, it's my job and responsibility, along with the rest of the leadership team, to really identify people who can do different things. And, and sometimes we get different skill sets, but, but I always believe that you should play to your strengths. So, you know, you may not be good at this, this and this. I mean, you need to be at a certain minimum level, of course. But assuming that hygiene factor is taken care of, then play to your strengths. So if someone's really, you know, great at relationship management, make sure that you put them in that role. And then they can develop other skill sets and, and go up the corporate ladder if that's what they want to do. But in, we have a lot of distributors and, you know, agents. And there's two types. One who wants to become a leader and have many people working for them, and the other who just wants to be a super sales agent. Mm. And they're both great jobs, and they both make the same amount of money, roughly. Um, yeah. You know, but very different personalities. People who are just self-sufficient and want to do what they want to do, and people who are leaders who really want to develop people. So you, you have to understand, and we do a lot of you know, working with Hogan, et cetera, to really understand uh, people, what they want to do, and what they're good at. And for me, the my philosophy is Ikigai, you know, the Japanese uh, philosophy of, you know, what are you good at? What do you like to do? What pays money and what can make a difference in the world? Mm -hmm. And when they intersect, the intersect section of all four of them is called Ikigai. It's called? Ikigai. It's a Ikigai. Japanese, yeah. Wow. Yep. Yep. That's deep. Switched on Asia. Brought to you by AXA. Delivering confidence. So, Gordon, elite athletes, uh, as we see, we will see, um, have coaches and mentors. Um, do you see value in um, coaching for business? And have you ever had a coach yourself? So, yeah, I think there's a big difference between mentoring and coaching. Coaching is really getting the other person to say what they think. Um, so, I have a coaches. I haven't had one coach who's my go-to person but in different things, because people have different skill sets. I always like to get different views and things. So I have many coaches huh. in my life, you know, from my son in terms of reven reverse mentoring, et cetera, to, to other people, um, you know, to keep you current. So yeah, I have, I have many coaches, maybe not, I don't call them coaches or they don't feel they're coaches, but they are coaching me, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And what about if, um, say, for example, you had somebody who's, who's an introvert, um, but they really want to be client-facing? Do you think coaching can help in that, oh, yeah. that regard? Yeah, I mean, there's a book by Susan Cain, Quiet. Um, and even though you're an introvert, uh, in, introvert, it, it really gets power from themselves. Mm-hmm. And an extrovert gets power from other people. So introverts are not necessarily quiet. Mm. Um, but as an introvert, you do, and in business, you still have a responsibility to communicate because it's still part of your job. So you need to coach that person to say, this is how you can get comfortable with yourself, you know, how you can breathe um, and practice, you know, you can practice being good at something. So yeah, I definitely, I think uh, that's very coachable. Some of the best salespeople are actually introverts Mm. because extroverts sometimes talk too much and they don't don't (laughs) get the check. (laughs) Introverts are usually better organized and systematic and uh, do well. So just because you're an extrovert doesn't mean you're a good salesperson. Many of the best leaders and salespeople are uh, introverts. Wow, wow, so there's hope. There's hope. So um, the Liverpool Football Club, yeah. uh, you're wearing the jersey today. Um, it has to be one of the most famous football clubs yeah. in the world. Um, and I understand that LFC and AXA go back a long way. Um, and you have been training kit partner for their men's, women's, and youth teams for several years and are now the training center partner. Yeah. Why is the partnership with LFC so important to AXA? So first of all, in terms of, you know, the brand, Liverpool for me um, is a very authentic football club mm. and authenticity is, is really important. We look at the reach that Liverpool have in Asia. There's over a billion fans worldwide wow. and 402 million of them live in Asia. Wow. So it's fantastic. And the other thing, of course, is, um, you know, you'll never walk alone is very important. Um, and an insurance company, it's such, a, such an important thing that you are a partner for your client for life and you go through the many life stages um, um, working together and walking along together. Mm. So we know there are a lot of fans out there. I didn't know there were quite so many yeah, in Asia. Funny, yeah. yeah. Um, so before we go ahead and catch up with the team, uh, we asked our listeners and fans, um, what makes a great team? Here's what they said. A great football team will play football with passion, characters, and of course, to win football games. When it's all about us, but you can count on me. Everyone associated with the club seems to want to pull together to work towards that common goal, and that includes the fan base as well. We can generate a synergy effect when we support and increase each other's strength. This will also guide the team in a more positive way. Bring each other up, pull each other up to motivate each other. Right, when times are going well, you need to celebrate together and enjoy the success. You know, obviously with COVID now, fans aren't allowed in the stadium, but hopefully when it's all over, um, we can get fans back into the Anfield and enjoy a European night at Anfield. Uh, a great team is also one where all the team members treat each other with respect. Trust between each other. We have to rely on each other to achieve the final target. It is to accept the fact that everybody is different and we build upon the team with our strengths and compassion. If you want to go fast, you can go alone. But if you want to go far, we go together. 
It's the supporters that really take us to the, to the next level. Players say it all the time. They love playing at Anfield because the supporters know their football. And so we've always had great players. We always will have great players. The team without the fans are lost, and the fans without the team are lost too. When we work together, we work fabulously well, and we roll them onto famous glories. We're a fiercely proud club, and it shows. I love a Liverpool football club. We'll get through the season on a high note. We have dreams and songs to sing, and we'll never walk alone. Switched on Asia, brought to you by AXA. Delivering confidence. So thank you to all the fans for all those wonderful messages. Uh, a lot of mega fans out there. Thank you very much. Um, so now on the line, very excitingly, we should have some players with us. Uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Joel Matip, and uh, last but not least, Lee Richardson, who is the performance psychologist um, to the LFC squad. Morning, fellas. How are you guys doing? Very, I'm very good. How are you? Excellent. Well, it's great to have this opportunity to catch up with you guys. And um, as you know, I'm here with one of your uh, sponsors, AXA, CEO of Asia, Gordon Watson. And we're just having a little chat here about what teamwork means and um, leadership. And especially in the current um, 2021, the world is changing so fast. What is, uh, what's the importance of teamwork? So I want to pose that question to all of you. Um, to bring you into the conversation. So, Alex, we'll start with you. What does teamwork mean to you? I think teamwork to me is something that I've, um, I'm lucky enough to have always been a part of since I was young, growing up. And you learn that in teamwork, one, relationships are massive, um, which help in sport. Um, if you, you have better relationships as, as individuals with your teammates, uh, it's easier to work towards one target, which is usually to win or to be successful. Um, and, in, and even in general, through sport and through teamwork, I've, you know, I've taken a lot of those life skills into everyday socialising and being able to interact better with people and work better with people. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a massive part of my life. And um, yeah, it's, it's obviously hugely important in, in sports and industry. Excellent. And how about you, Joel? What does teamwork mean for you? People can rely on me if they struggle and if I'm struggling, um... I can rely on them. It's just a give and take, and I'm really lucky because it's uh, the biggest part of sport uh, because without it would never be working. Even the best player could not uh, work in a team that doesn't work together. So um, it's an important part. And, uh, of course, the relation in between the players are the key most of the time. It's just always good to know that uh, you have friends or teammates that always uh, be there for you. That's true. And Gordon, for you in a business setting, you know, you're a senior executive at a very large multinational company. What does teamwork mean to you and how does it play um, out? Well, as the guy said, I think uh, trust is very important, relationships, but I also think different perspectives and different points of view. So when I arrived at AXA, there were a lot of goalkeepers and we didn't have too many Alexes who were creative types. So we need to get different viewpoints in a team work together collectively and, of course, uh, have that winning culture. Winning culture, very important. Let's get into it a little bit more with, uh, with, with the guys here. So, Ox, I know you're known as 
ox, and it is the year of the ox, uh, so it should be a pretty good year for you. <laughs> so you're no stranger to the roller coaster ride of, uh, of football, the world of football. Um, and a few seasons ago, we know that you suffered a bad knee injury, um, which you had to work to overcome. So how did you deal with that? How did you um, keep the morale up and, and, and bounce back? Uh, I just think just staying focused um, is... For me, I feel like in football, it's it's quite self-explanatory where, you know, you only have, if you're lucky, from the age of 18 to around 35 to become as successful as you can. And in those years, you've got to make the most of them. So when you pick up a, um, a bad injury like I did, you have a choice to make of, um, you know, whether you're going to get your head down, work hard to, to try and come back to the same level. Um, and, and that's what I did. So, uh, yeah, it was just staying focused on, on the end goal. And I was lucky enough to, at the time, be in this, this football team, which was going special places. Um, and I had a, a taste of that just before I got injured. We were, we were doing really well. We got to the Champions League final that year. And I, I knew this team was, was going to be successful. So I had that as a, as a motivation to, to get myself back, to, to, to come back and be a part of that, which, which helped me massively. And, and then you have the other structures, your family, um, your friends, that, that support you day to day and you know physios staff members at the at the club that I'm lucky enough to to have at my disposal who who are amazing at giving the best advice and, and best help treatment whether that's mental um stuff to to work through it mentally or or physical so all of those things together you need you need that whole structure to um you know for me to come back and and get back to the level um just like you know you need the, the team to, to to drive the uh, a team like us forward, you need the, everyone doing different jobs, different roles to, to get to the end goal. And, you know, I just relied on that and used that to the best of my ability and, and stayed focused. Yeah, yeah. And support structures, as we're all learning these days, is so important. This is Switched on Asia. So, Joel, we asked Alex earlier about overcoming injury. Um, and the, unfortunately, this is something that you're familiar with as well. Um, how have you maintained a positive mindset uh, as you got rehabilitated? Um, yeah, I try to be always, always positive. But uh, of course, I wasn't always positive. There are always some big setbacks. But um, I know from the injuries before that I had the strength to come back. And uh, this always gives me the power that I know I have the ability and the quality to come back and um, I always try to remember that uh, there's always a chance to come back and uh, yeah try to stay positive even if it's not uh, every day possible you cannot smile every day there are some bad days this belongs to a normal life you cannot always smile at least I cannot always smile but uh, you try to stay positive and uh, you work hard to be back in the stadium to play in front of the supporters like you used to and uh, like your team. And sticking with the COVID topic, I wanted to find out, did you guys have to lock down? And um, if so, how did you guys stay in shape and keep your, uh, keep your physique up? Um, yeah, I think when we, we first went into lockdown was um, around this time last year. Uh, I think it was, yeah, start of March, maybe. Um, end of February, start of March. And uh, that, that was, it was, it was new. It was, it was different. It was something that none of us in our lifetime had, had had to do. So in a strange way for the first couple of weeks, it was a, it was a, a bit new and, you know, it was two weeks off from work and 
um, you know, we stayed at stayed at home and we all kept in contact. And um, you were obviously thinking it's only going to be a couple of weeks. So I might enjoy this couple of weeks to just, you know, <laughs> take my mind off of things and, and relax at home and then come back to football. And then you realise four weeks in, um, hang on, this, this, this might be a bit longer. But um, that's when it became, you know, when you realise the severity of the situation and um, that's when you had to, okay, reevaluate and, and readjust so that you've got your mindset around, okay, I need to do what I, I need to do at home to stay at a level that when we come back, we don't know when that is, but whenever it is, you've got to be ready. Um, and I mean, that's not too dissimilar to, you know, if you're injured or if you're out of the team, making sure that whilst you're not playing, you make you make every step um, that you need to make to, to make sure that if you get the call up this weekend for your first start in a long time, you're ready to take that opportunity. And it was the same in lockdown um, at the start, just making sure that we did all the running. We had a group chat, um, a massive group chat with the manager, the staff, all the players um, where the runs were put in and we spoke about them and everyone sort of interacted. We did the sessions. We did some sessions on Zoom like this. Um, so the boys were putting their phone on the uh, on the floor in the garden and we're all doing like ball sessions together. Uh, we did yoga sessions on zoom together. Um, and then we had the heart rate monitors and the GPS trackers. Um, so that the fitness coaches could actually make sure that we were doing the, the right work and to the right level, which, which helped. So yeah, you just had to go into a, a, you know, a different sort of headspace and get your head around. This is serious work whilst not at the club. Um, and the club did absolutely everything to, to make that as easy as possible for us. And we all came back in, in really good shape at the end of um, last season to finish out the season. I think the other thing was, obviously we were 20 points clear or something. So that for us was probably an easy motivator to keep us going through that time so that we could, you know, come back, finish off the league um, and lift the Premier League. Um, and and yeah, that's that's the way we went went forward with it. And and it was it was really successful. I think everyone did a really good job and all the players came back in really good shape. Excellent. Joel, how about you? What did you, how did you, you know, what, did, what changes did you make to your routine during COVID and, and how did you stay in shape? Oh, it was just strange. You spend a lot of time at home. It was like normally you're like every three, four days you're on a trip, you're on a different place. And uh, it was something different at the beginning. It was not too bad, but... Uh, after a while, I think everybody was just looking forward to really come back. And um, at the beginning, I really just uh, enjoyed the time uh, with my wife. But after a while, it was like, you want to come back, you want to go back. And um, not that I not enjoyed my time with my wife afterwards. <laughs> it was like, no, it was like, uh, at the beginning, it was really like a short holiday. But afterwards, uh, I get like, uh, I don't know how to say it in English. It's like, uh, you want to play, you want to go outside, you want to do something. It's like... Uh, you're used to play like when you're fit since you're six, you're used to play like nearly every day or every week. And uh, if something that you did like over the last 25, 30 years is no gun, I think it's the same like for everyone else. They had to change their completely kind, uh, the way they live. And uh, yeah, so do yeah. so we had to do it too. Yeah. I think definitely one of the hardest things was not knowing when it was going to end, right? Yeah. And Gordon, how about you in the business setting, the office? How did how did you guys deal with it? Well, I think the key things were communication, over communicate, and connection and connect that connectivity. The other thing is um, 
is health. Uh, the guy spoke about health, mainly physical health, but we look at health holistically and mental health. So for example, say in Europe, half the days, absentee days are caused from mental health. And that was before COVID. So you can mm -hmm. imagine what it's like now. And it's an invisible disease that no one sees. Mm -hmm. And it's just been amplified through COVID. So it's really keeping in touch um, you know, I don't want to sound corny and say you'll never walk alone, but <laughs> you know, it was making sure people who lived alone, who, who felt together and they didn't feel alone because we're constantly over communicating. And I think uh, we, we do a pulse survey every quarter and the team connectivity is actually the highest it's ever been wow. um, during COVID, which you know, so far so good because it's not over yet. Yes, that's true. That's true. Let's come back, talk about um, a topic that um, you guys might be familiar with, and certainly in a, in a business setting, um, we're familiar with the idea of performance anxiety, you know, right before you go out and see 92 million fans, you know, how do you keep your head in the game? How do you keep the nerves from like taking over? Um, I think... I think firstly, you don't, we don't see all 92 million, you know, you just see the 50, 60,000 that's in the stadium, which helps a bit. Um, yes. But I mean, I don't know. Um, when I was young and, you know, that was the time when maybe it was the most nerve wracking. I, I had that youthful sort of um, naivety and excitement to sort of almost show off and, you know, impress them and wanna, want them to see what I could do. Um, I think as I've got older, um, the importance of the game and, you know, wanting to the team to do well, as opposed to, um, you know, necessarily just being an 18 year old, want to, wanting to show what you can do and show a couple of skills. I think that's what's taken over more um, is wanting the team to do well and the team's goals. And that's the thing that I think sometimes I get if I get anxious, it's more about that, especially being in a competitive team like Liverpool, where every single game is massive for us and we have really realistic goals and those goals are the biggest goals that you can achieve. So, you know, if the team doesn't win or you don't play good, um, it, it's a big, it's a big, you know, downfall on, on the, on the overall goal for the season. I think that's the main thing in terms of, you know, being in front of fans. I think our fans help us and I get a buzz off of playing in front of people. I find it sometimes harder to, to play without the fans there than when the fans are there because they give you a massive lift and a boost and they give you that sort of, um, you, you get something back. You know, if you do something good in front of 60,000 people, you can tell they appreciate it and that helps push you on to go that bit further and do that bit more when you're tired. Or So I find it more difficult without the fans, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I don't think that that the fans or the nerves can, you know, get the better of us at this point. We're all quite experienced now and um, it's just a part of the game. Um, you know, you know that you've got a big responsibility to, you know, to produce good results and good performances for them, but we're lucky to be in that situation. So you've got to embrace it and, you know, and, and enjoy it and use it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Joel, do you share the same kind of concern for the whole team? And also, I'm curious, can you read kind of the vibe in the team before, uh, before you head out onto the pitch? I think everybody uh, is in his own mind and prepares on his own self. There are people that are really loud. There are people that are a little bit more uh, silent. And uh, I think everybody prepares uh, what he thinks is the best for him. 
But the thing, if you're outside, uh, that's a good about the team that uh, you don't have to go alone through something. It's like uh, you always get the help and you can help. So it's like, uh, yeah, that's the main thing. It's like you're on the team outside and uh, that helps massively. And it um, doesn't matter. Everybody deals uh, differently. But um, with the years, I think it's an experience that gets maybe a little bit easier. But... Uh, it has to be something special to go out. It will never be something like, uh, it never should be something like for me, like a normal job. It's like something special to be there and uh, it should feel like something special. And uh, I'm just happy to be there and don't have to play a solo spot because that would be uh, yeah, a tough thing. Yeah, yeah. I guess at, at you guys' level, you know, um, the nerves shouldn't, shouldn't be a problem. So Lee, Here's a question. On time management, how, to, how do you advise players, you know, in terms of manage, managing their time? How do they balance between playing um, professional football and having a life, you know, having friends and family time? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there are three focuses for me as a psychologist working with players. Obviously, number one is performance enhancement and how I can maybe help them uh, improve, get better, strive, um, the second thing is obviously mental health and well-being and making sure that um, some of the challenges and, and uh, difficulties that they face, that they're supported through that. But the third strand for me is the kind of enjoyment of their experience. I mean, I touched on it there with Joel and, and Alex. I'm, I do kind of, certainly with the older players, try and stress to them how important it is for them to, to really maximise their time left as players and to really try and enjoy it. You know, Because sometimes, believe it or not, it can become like a job, even at, even at the level that the boys are playing at Liverpool, um, because of the challenges they face. Uh, I do think it's important for them to retain that sense of, of enjoyment and of fun, of, of realising, you know, they're doing what they would have done uh, when they were children. You know, they would have dreamt about being who they are now, and, um, and that's who they are. So really try and relish it. I think most of the lads do do, but sometimes, you know, they, they might forget that. And Gordon, how do you bring a sense of joy into your days? I, um, well, everyone talks about happiness and the happiness index and stuff. And for me, I think uh, to be happy is when you're engaged in something. Mm. So if you don't like your job and you're not engaged, you're not going to have fun. So you need to you know, make sure you love what you're doing. You don't always love every aspect of it, of course. Um, so I, I love to paint, for example. So I could come home, oh. um, you know, you know, seven o'clock at night, and maybe there's a painting that's uh, there's something wrong with it, and I take a brush, I still get my suit on, and it can be four <laughs> o'clock in the morning, and you, you're like, uh, wow, um, you know. So time just passes, wow. and that seems to be when you're at your happiest. It's when you're really engaged in something. So if you can find that, you know, secret recipe for really to be engaged, and when you look at, you know, what you're doing every day, um, whether it's work or whatever, you know, being engaged is really, and following your passion, and you can't change, or as Catherine Hepburn said, you can't change the music of your soul, mm. so just flow with that, and, uh, you know, for me, that, that was for me personally, anyway. Mm, mm. So, like, oil paintings, or watercolors, or what? Uh, oil painting, I'm wow. very bad at oil, well, I'm very bad at both, but um, <laughs> I'm, <le> <laughs> I'm, you know, uh, not so bad at oil compared to watercolors. Amazing. Yeah. We'll look forward to some... Watson's being uh, auctioned off. Oh, yeah, yeah. We should talk about that, yeah. <laughs> Lee, you've had a really long career in, uh, in football. Um, 
what about situations where it's like really high stakes? You know, you're you're in a final match or something. Um, how how do you keep the team together and and um, keep their head in the game? Everyone is different. Um, everyone responds differently to the the stress or anxiety. I think it's really important to mention that anxiety is normal. It's a normal psychological process that everybody experiences to some degree or other. And in fact, it's more, it's less normal to not have any anxiety playing in, in a performance setting. Uh, these two guys have been become very adept at dealing with um, the, we call it arousal. So the, the body's system, the body's adrenaline levels um, get activated when you're in a situation where you're going to be challenged or threatened. And that's just a natural process. One of the big problems I find is often that um, some players uh, have a belief that they need to feel really good in order to play good. And that, that's mm. not necessarily the case. As Joel mentioned, you know, it's actually, it would be strange without that, that adrenaline, that, that, that kind of uncomfortableness. You know, there's a bit of a cliche now. People talk about getting, uncom- uh, getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's really the, the thing I think that most players... Uh, develop, and these two certainly have over their careers, the ability to be able to rise above those feelings. You know, it's a bit like a, a jockey riding a stallion. The stallion is the energy that's in them. But if the jockey's on top and uh, controlling that stallion, then it can turn into a really good performance. And these two, obviously, are good examples of players who can do that. Yeah, absolutely. And Gordon, in, in the insurance world, what is comparable to a big match and, and how do people deal with their emotions in those settings? Well, there's nothing in insurance world comparable uh, <laughs> to playing for Liverpool, I must say. <laughs> uh, but for me, I think uh, if I had a tattoo, it would say breathe. Mm. Um, and any time you know, in our industry that we have pressure you know, to control it and maximise it, because pressure is a privilege. You know, when you have that, you know, usually it's a privilege. How do you control that if you breathe? you empty yourself. So I have a hand gesture, I kind of like empty myself if I'm upset, calm down and go on with it. So, uh, but nothing is, is anything like, uh, you know, these guys go through playing in front of the cop uh, every other week. So Gordon's just told us that uh, if he had a tattoo, you don't have it, do you? No, I don't. You don't, uh, but you might get it. Maybe. <laughs> uh, a tattoo that said breathe. So if you guys were to get a tattoo, what, what would it say? I don't have a tattoo and I think I will never have one. So I'm out this. Uh, I'm completely <laughs> out of this. It's like, uh, it's like, uh, that's a question Fox. You have tattoos, huh? I don't, I don't have any have. tattoos to have. <laughs> really? Do I, give, do I give off that stigma that you think I'd have one? I don't. Yeah. I think, it's, I mean, that's a hard question. I think I'd have to get a full sleeve on my arm of words to, <laughs> to, to, to help me. Um, I think obviously breathe is a good one. I think that's that's a massive thing that that I've sort of spoke to people about and doing and not being or not trying not to be too impulsive at the time and you know calm down, have a look at the situation and and then and then deal with it after that. Whatever it is, obviously you don't have time to do that on a pitch when it's you know every second you have to make decisions. Um, if I had to have one one word, I think it. I think it would just for me. It would it would always be um, self belief, or sort of like a believe in yourself. Um, because I think in in our industry, uh, like Lee was saying, um, 
at, every day in training, um, every season, new players come in, you always have that sort of threat, that sort of threat of someone taking your space or um, someone coming and playing over you um, or, you know, going for England squads, whatever it is, there's always that sort of constant threat and someone that is looking to take your your job, basically, uh, especially as you get older, young players come through and you always have to keep that competitive edge. But I think it would it would be self-belief because although I do... I do feel that um, I have self-belief. I think that's that's the one thing that from time to time I have to remind myself um, to be, you know, stay confident and believe in my ability, you know, trust the process, the, the hard work and uh, and then believe in what I can, can, can go on and do um, and then keep working towards that. So it would be, yeah, just a, a reminder of self-belief. Amazing. Something that most of us should remember in our worlds. Lee, how about you? Any chance of getting a tattoo? Well, I don't think a tattoo will look particularly good on me. And um, I'm just getting to the stage where I actually remember when I, when I was about 21, so that's a long time ago, and I was playing for Blackburn Rovers at the time, actually. And, what, and I was thinking about getting a tattoo because my granddad had had a tattoo. He was in the Navy and he had a, an anchor, you know, like a ship's anchor on his arm. And I always thought, when I was a kid, I thought it was really cool. And I thought, well, now I'm old enough now. I, I've left home. I can I can have my own tattoo if I want. But one of the guys who I played with, or one of the, my teammates, went out that weekend and actually got a tattoo himself. So it kind of made me think, well, I can't get a tattoo now because he's done it. And everyone will think that I'm just doing it because he's done it. So <laughs> I missed the boat on tattoos. And now I'm getting to the stage of that. I'm quite, you know, getting towards the wrinkly stage of life. So a tattoo wouldn't look very good on me at all. So I would just, I would just leave it blank. I just have a blank tattoo. <laughs> What about watchwords? Watchwords for, for young people, perhaps. I think smile would be a good one because I think um, it's always worth remembering when you're a player that it, it, it doesn't last forever and it, it, you have to enjoy uh, every moment. And I think, um, so if I was to have a tattoo for the, for the players, it would be, you know, enjoy, enjoy the moment of, you know, yeah, that would be probably the, the key thing for me for both these guys. They've both got some, some, some distance to go yet in their careers that can uh, you know, enjoy every moment of it. That's what, what I would say. Enjoy. That would be my word. Well, thank you guys for joining us. It's been really great to catch up with you and um, best of luck for the season. Thank you. Matches. Thank you very much. This is Switched on Asia. Before we go, earlier in the show, we featured a mystery player. Did you guess who it is? Hello. My name is Dirk Coit and I'm the mystery player. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Gordon. Thank you, Deborah. That was uh, awesome. Some great information and great advice from the guys. Yeah. And thank you for listening to Switched on Asia, brought to you by AXA, delivering confidence. Uh, make sure to hit the subscribe or follow button uh, so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, um, please leave us a review and a five-star rating because that really helps people to find us. And we'd love to hear from you. So do send us your messages, voice, and video to uh, Hong Kong plus 852-9121-4084. I'll say it again, plus 852-9121-4084. I'm Deborah Mao, and again, this is Switched on Asia, brought to you by AXA, delivering confidence. Thank you for listening to Switched on Asia, brought to you by AXA, delivering confidence.